chromosomes. Little strands of nucleic acids and proteins are the fundamental genetic instructions that tell us who we are at birth. Most people are born with 46 chromosomes, but each year in the United States, about 6,000 people are born with an extra chromosome, making them a person with Down syndrome. If you've ever encountered someone with Down syndrome, you know that they are some of the kindest, most joyful people you will ever meet. They truly have something extra. My name is Lisa Nichols, and I have spent the last 24 years as both the CEO of Technology Partners and as the mother to Allie. Allie has something extra in every sense of the word. I have been blessed to be by her side as she impacts everyone she meets. Through these two important roles as CEO and mother to Allie, I have witnessed countless life lessons that have fundamentally changed the way I look at the world. While you may not have an extra chromosome, every leader has something extra that defines who you are. Join me as I explore the something extra in leaders from all walks of life and discover how that difference in each of them has made a difference in their companies, their families, their communities, and in themselves. If you like this episode today, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and leave us a five-star rating. I'm honored to have Tom Ziegler on the show today. Tom is a speaker and author and the CEO at Ziegler Inc. Well, Tom, I am so incredibly honored. I'm honored to have you on the Something Extra podcast today. I have been a fan of the Ziegler name for a very long time, and I'm just really grateful that you're making the time because I know that you're really busy speaking and writing and running the Ziegler group and <laughs> all the other many things you do. Yeah, it's a blessing to be here. And I, I love the title of your podcast, Something Extra. I mean, that's pretty cool. Back in the day when dad was speaking for uh, Amway quite a bit, he created a uh, an audio program. I think it was about four hours and he called it a little bit extra. So, Oh my goodness. I had no idea. That is so cool. Well, that is very special. I, I really love the name now. Well, yeah. And you know, the precipice behind that you and I, first of all, I have to do this. I have to give a shout out to our mutual friend, Bob Teedy. Because Bob is the one, and Bob has written multiple books himself, and his latest one, Leading with Questions, which I absolutely love. Um, talking about reading a lot, Tom, you and I are both voracious readers. That one I've got outlined, you know, outlined, underlined, highlighted. But I had that with yours too, and we're gonna we're gonna talk about yours. But mutual shout out to Bob yeah. for connecting us. I really appreciate him for doing that. Brother Bob, he's an amazing, amazing man. He really, really is and has served now in that role for 50 years. Isn't that incredible? I asked him, I said, Bob, you think you're going to like it? <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel like you found your calling yet, Bob? Oh, I love it. Well, you know what? I was thinking about you this morning um, as I was thinking about our conversation. And you and I have a lot in common. We really do. We're about, I think I'm your elder, but we were at least born kind of in the same decade. Okay. <laughs> we're both in our 50s. I'm late 50s. Uh, I think you're more mid 50s, maybe. I'm, I'm 58. 
You're 58. Okay. Well, I'm 59. There so I'm just a little bit your elder. Um, so we've got that in common. You know, first and foremost, Jesus is the center of both of our lives. Amen. And without him, I would be nothing. I could do nothing. And uh, yeah, so that that's the most, you know, uh, th that's the one that stands out to me the most. And then you and I both had parents, amazing, amazing intentional parents. Um, both of them, yours and mine, are both in heaven with their Lord. Uh, today is a particularly, um, you know, important day for me, Tom, because my dad passed away one year ago today. Oh, wow. So I have been thinking about him a lot, but we just had, you know, amazing parents. And I know you feel the same way. I'm so grateful. So grateful for that. Um, your dad was Zig Ziglar. And I have to ask you this question. Now, I already know the answer to this, but I want you to answer it. Is Zig really his first name? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's such a great trivia question. Uh, of course, his, his given name was Hillary Hinton Ziegler. And so when you are named Hillary Hinton, uh, you go by Zig. <laughs> That's right. I think he got that nickname in elementary school, you know, so here's something else. And this is why I wanted to ask you the question. Here's something else we have in common. My husband, Greg, his dad's name is Gene Nichols, but Tom, he was in the army. And so, you know what? He very quickly became Nick yep. and everyone knows him by, you know, he's passed on now, but Nick Nichols, and the other thing that we have in common, his wife, my mother-in-law, is a true redhead. <laughs> <laughs> and I just remember reading some of your dad's books. Your mom's name is Jean. Right. But he would always refer her as to the amazing redhead. Yeah. And, and actually, my mom was a decided redhead. Oh, was she? Okay. Yeah. See, there, yeah. there you go. That's another little piece of trivia. <laughs> Yeah. Meaning one day she just decided. Yeah. Yeah. And she, she told her beautician, she said, if you keep me in the red, I'll keep you in the black. Oh, I love that. <laughs> that is fantastic. Well, it, was she a firecracker? Cause uh, Greg's mom, Dixie is, she is a spunky thing. <laughs> She's oh, yeah. 83 years old, but has so much spunk awesome. about her. Yeah. Mom was too. She was yeah. amazing. Yeah. And then your youngest daughter, our youngest daughter's name is Alexandra. Right. Your daughter's name is Alexandra. We call yes. Alexandra, our Alexandra, we call her Allie. But, you know, she's really the precipice for the podcast. And, you know, she's a little girl with Down syndrome, extra 21st chromosome, but right. we all have something extra, right? Um, maybe later. I love the story that you tell. I think it's in your book, Choose to Win about when you you did for your daughter what your dad did for you and your dad took you on a lot of his speaking things and you got to meet amazing people well you did the same thing with alexandra and i had to chuckle at the story with her when you took her i think it was to australia maybe uh yes. with howard partridge yes <laughs> what happened there tom just tell us that story real quick yeah. So, uh, interestingly enough, I was, uh, speaking there about three weeks ago. Again, uh, Steve McKnight, who was the one who invited me over, 
And that was my first trip over. And of course, I think Alex, she was 17 and, and we got to go on a, on a daddy daughter trip together. Uh, so we get there and, and it's a, it's a conference. It's a real estate investing conference and business owners. And I do the keynote in the morning and there's like six or 700 people there. And then in the afternoon, Howard Partridge, our business partner was there and we were doing these one hour kind of sessions and we invited business owners in and they would ask us questions about, you know, how to grow their business. And it could be about anything. And so Alexandra had told me, she said, dad, I want to go. I want to sit in the room. I want to see what's going on, but don't call any attention to me. Don't make a big deal that I'm there, you know, 17, a little quiet, new country. And so I said, sure. And so we get up uh, to do the first afternoon session and the people started asking questions and Howard turned to me and said, Tom, I think we should write these questions on the board. What do you think? Cause they had a whiteboard there. And I said, that's a good idea. And before I knew it, he said, Alexandra, can you come <laughs> up here and write these questions on the board? And my daughter <laughs> back row, she stands up <laughs> and, you know, first there was shock and then she put on the ballerina pose and the ballerina smile. And that's the smile where your face is glued into a smile. <laughs> and, and uh, nobody knows what you're thinking or feeling, but, you know, your your toes could be bleeding and your ankle could be broken. But, you know, the ballerina thing, she'd been mm-hmm. doing that for 12 years and she walks down the center of the aisle and the whole time her eyes are locked on my eyes. <laughs> and I can. Looks could have healed. <laughs> yeah, the laser beams are coming off her eyes and I can feel my face kind of melting. Right. She's not happy. She gets up there, you know, she writes a bunch of questions on the board. She does fantastic. She sits down. I don't think anything of it. At the end of the session, she comes to me during the break and she says, dad, tell Howard not to ask me again. I don't, I want, I want to be here, like I said, but I don't want to be in front of the room. I just want to, I said, okay, I'll tell him. Well, she leaves and during the break, all these business owners who were in the session, they start talking. And before you know it, the session's over and the break's done and we're starting the next session. And I didn't tell Howard. And just as he starts it off and he says, Alexandra, can you come to the front and write on the board? And I realized what I'd done and I look up and Alexandra's got that ballerina pose. She's walking down the middle of the aisle. Her eyes are locked on mine. And this time nuclear warheads are coming out of her, right? I mean, like I am... I'm in big trouble. If you've ever had the daughter stare, whoo. And so she gets up, she does a great job, sits down. We end the session. This time she comes immediately to me. She puts her hands on either side on my shoulders, taps me in the face. That's what, that's what women do sometimes to get the guy's attention. Yes. She says, look me in the eye, dad. And I said, okay. She, he goes, tell Howard not to ask me up front. Well, she leaves and I get a bunch of more questions from these business owners. We're talking. And then Howard starts the next session early before I can tell him. <laughs> and he starts it off. Alexandra, come to the front and right on the board. We both look at the back row where she'd been sitting and she was gone. And so <laughs> then we looked at each other and she'd moved up and she was sitting on the end of the second row. She had a big smile on her face. She jumped up and she wrote on the board 
and that was the day that my young daughter kind of quiet, uh, turned into a young woman, uh, because yeah. that confidence, we've actually got a picture of her on stage. And, and so what had happened is the awesome Aussies had come up to her, uh, during the breaks and said, do you like traveling with your dad? How do you like Australia? Where are you going to go to university? Do you, th- you know, what career are you thinking about? Do you think you might speak one day? And so the lesson is, is the, the people there thought she could do more than she thought she could. Mm. And so that confidence that she got lifted up and that never would have happened if, right. if she hadn't come. And then dad had this quote uh, that's pretty famous about this. He, he said, love to a child is spelled T-I-M-E. Uh, and so we were just blessed. She's been on a lot. She's been uh, a lot of places with me. Yeah. Uh, and those are the best experiences. Tom, we did not plan this. You had no idea what I was going to talk to you about. I'm so glad you said that quote, though, because I, I had that written down as one of the quotes. I told you, I've got a whole book of your dad's quotes and I'm starting to get I'm starting to gather yours, too. So keep keep putting those wonderful motivational quotes out there. But I love that story. So maybe the lesson for us, Tom, is we should call on people more. Put people on the spot more, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's amazing. We've all done more than we thought we could because somebody believed in us. Uh, one of my primary things that I do now is leadership. Uh, we've created a, a program around coach leadership. And it's it's how to lead your people through a coaching, using a coaching process. And one of the most important things is really sharing uh, that you believe in your people, mm-hmm. that you know they can do more than they think they can, and you speak words of truth and hope and life into them, and then you walk beside them. Right? You're not just saying, you know, figure it out, go get it done. You're you're encouraging, you're believing them, you're giving things maybe a little that make them stretch a little beyond their ability, but you're also equipping them at the same time, and you're there for them when they have a question, and that is an amazing thing because that's the, that's the key that so many people are missing is they didn't have parents like ours right? that poured into us, that believed us that, you know, my dad always told me, he said, son, whatever you want to do in life, I'll be, I'll support it a hundred percent. As long as you are doing it with a hundred percent integrity and a hundred percent commitment. So, you know, a hundred percent effort. So, I had that unconditional support from him, Mm -hmm. Um, but he told me that. Right. And then when I would do something, you know, he would ask me questions to see what my effort and commitment level were. So I love it. It it had to just be, well, both your mom and dad, because I mean, I read something about your mom and and uh, something like that. She just loved everyone benevolent, loving, compassionate person, you know, but it, it had to have been just really incredible. Um, Tom growing up with your dad, I mean, you know, can you talk about your dad just a little bit? Because he wasn't always a motivational speaker. That's another really good, uh, lesson for all of us, you know, is, is your dad, you know, obviously stepped into an amazing calling and purpose, but he started out as a salesman, right? Yeah. 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 So dad's story is, uh, golly, it's just, it's one of these, you know, dad used to say that coincidence is God's way of staying anonymous. 
And when you look at his life and, and how it started and what he went through and where he ended up, I mean, it's an amazing, amazing situation. He, he was born in LA, lower Alabama, you know, he'd always get a chuckle out of the audience and then moved to Yazoo city, Mississippi when he was like three or four years old. His dad died when he was five. Oh, so now he's the 10th of 12 kids, six of them too young to work in the great depression being raised uh, by a a widowed uh, mother. With 12 kids. With with 12 kids. And of course, Mississippi may be the poorest state in the union. And he's in a little town. Uh, And so that meant that he started work when he was six years old. He sold peanuts on the corner. Mm -hmm. A few years later, started working in a grocery store. Um, And, you know, dad would say, Never did well in school. He was in the part of the class that made the top half possible. (laughs) World War II comes along. He he gets in, uh, gets a little bit of college, doesn't do well there. Uh, The war's over. He got at the very tail end. And then he started his, got married, started his sales career. And for two and a half years in his sales career, he didn't sell anything. Well, he did. He sold his car. He sold his furniture. But and he didn't one, really cookware. <laughs> yeah. And then one day uh, he was in a meeting and his hero was there, PC Merrill, who was kind of a legend in the company and somebody he really looked up to and respected. At a break, came to him, put his hands on dad's shoulder and said, Zig, in all my life, I've never seen such a waste. And then he said, but, and we all know that but negates everything that came before it. And he said, but you could be a champion if you just believed in yourself and went to work on a regular schedule. And so that was the day that dad decided he was going to figure out what it means to believe in yourself. And that was the day he committed to knocking on the first door every day at 9 a.m. Because he was in door-to-door sales selling cookware. Well, that year he finished number two out of 7,000 salespeople. And in the previous two and a half years, he'd never been in the top 5,000. And so what that meant was that he was now the kind of the golden, the golden guy, right? Mm-hmm. Everything he did. So he got recruited. And when you have that level of success, people want you to do training. And so he started developing and training uh, his you know, sales teams and his people And then as he grew in that, he realized that it wasn't sales skills and sales techniques that really determined a salesperson's success. It was their belief in self-image, right? It was who they were because in sales, you get rejection all day long. I mean, that's part of what it is. And so more and more of his his training went that direction. And then people said, well, you should come over here and speak. And he saw a speaker and said, that's what I want to do. And so that's how his speaking career uh, got started. And in the line of sales that he was in, it was presentation selling. So he would do a presentation that was a sales uh, presentation. And he did it so many times, he learned to watch the response of the people listening. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, an art and a skill. So as a speaker, you have to do something enough reps to where you have the confidence that you know the material 
to where you can start to understand the feedback you're getting from people's, you know, body language and smiles and attention. And, and mm-hmm. so that's what really, that's what really, and so he started adding humor and, and stories and all those things into it. And that's, that's kind of how his career got started as a speaker. Oh, what a great story, Tom. Thank you so much for telling that. That is just incredible. Um, I'm sure that's written down somewhere, but if it's not, you know, that needs to be because that's just amazing. Well, I know that, um, you know, he, you know, faith was very important to him. In fact, you say that the thing, one of the things that you treasure the most is your dad's underlined Bible you know, which is really precious. I've got both my parents as well, but I know he spoke about 150 times a year. He's offered, uh, authored over two dozen books over his life. Um, and I read one stat that said he reached 200 and over 250 million people with his messages. But Tom, I remember when my kids were young, reading, like I've read lots of your dad's books, but one of them that I had read was, um, raising positive kids in a negative world. And I remember that book so well. And I I was thinking about it because we've got a little grandson now. And I'm like, I need to pull that book back out. (laughs) I think because unfortunately, I think the world has gotten a little bit even more negative, you know, since my kids were little. But um, here are some famous quotes of your dad. And then I want to get into your books. Um, and what you're doing today uh, with Ziegler Inc. But, you know, this is one that I know our readers will will recognize. If you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. That's yeah. one of your dads. You can have everything in life, and this is one that you, you kind of build your life on too. You can have everything in life you want if we will just help other people get what they want. Love that. I love this one. Cheryl Batchelder is a good friend of mine. I don't know if you know Cheryl Tom, but Cheryl was the CEO for Popeye's Chicken. And she says this. In fact, I think um, I knew that this was one of her favorite quotes. I didn't know that it was your dad's, but I think I even had this inscribed for her. But attitude, not aptitude, will determine your altitude. And I think that's really awesome. There are no traffic jams on the extra mile. (laughs) Um, You know, and I could go on and on and on, but, you know, for our listeners out there, look up quotes by Zig Ziglar and Tom Ziglar, because Tom's got his own, own quotes. But, you know, you started out in the warehouse at Ziglar in 1987. I think you were stocking tapes, uh, you know, to seminars, you know, you went from there to production to sales, and then you actually became the CEO in 1996. Was that your dad's idea to start you in the warehouse? I'm sure it was, but tell me that story. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's, you know, what had happened is uh, in college, I played college golf and I wanted to be a professional golfer. (laughs) And so when I graduated from college, I needed a job that would um, pay for my golf habit as I was on that journey. Yes. And it needed to have some flexibility. So I could work early or I could work late and, you know, shipping, uh, our orders or doing whatever they needed in the warehouse afforded that. So that's kind of how I, I landed in there. Plus it was a good place to start learning the business from, uh, top to bottom. But I, but my goal was to be a professional golfer. 
And the better I got and the more I progressed, uh, the more I understood how good those guys really are. <laughs> so, so even though I got pretty good, it was nowhere near what, what the guys on tour did. And I decided to move into sales and I just fell in love with selling. That's kind of in the blood uh, mm -hmm. in our family. In fact, when I was born, I was born February 1st, 1965. And on February 2nd, 1965, in Columbia, South Carolina, in the newspaper, Dad put in a birth announcement. And it announced that uh, John Thomas Ziegler, born on February 1st, 1965, uh, as a born, a born salesperson. So I have a newspaper clipping that I was a born salesperson. Uh, and so... so it was, it was meant to be, it was yeah. meant to be. Your dad spoke it into uh, existence there. Yep. And awesome. what's interesting is that um, dad was so proud of being a sales professional and still to this day, the overall impression of salespeople is negative. That's right. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and he said, he called, he had a, a whole program called sales, the proud profession. And the reason he felt that way is because somebody who's a good salesperson has the ability to convince somebody to do something. Mm -hmm. And so then the question is, are they going to do it with uh, integrity to make sure that what is being offered is what that person actually needs? And mm -hmm. so there's a huge moral responsibility on the salesperson. Absolutely. And if you have a product or service that solves a need to help someone, then you have a moral obligation to sell it. And so it's a really interesting thing because a lot of people in sales, they don't go all in, they don't go a hundred percent. And instead of being fully convicted and learning their profession, like they should, when somebody says no, they give up, even though it's in that prospect's best interest to say yes. And so dad mm -hmm. never liked to see that happen because if you got something that can change a life, you should sell it. Amen. Amen to that. You know, Tom, <clears throat> I grew up in the sales ranks, you know, and our company technology partners were full service IT firm, but the way we do business and the way we treat people is a really good way. And, you know, so I've always believed in what we do. You've got to believe in your product. I could never sell something that I didn't really believe in, nor should anyone else, <laughs> if you don't really believe in it. Right. But right. to your point, if it's really going to improve someone's life, then you have an obligation to, to let them know about it. You know, absolutely. So. Absolutely. You know, the quote that you mentioned earlier, which was uh, dad's most famous quote, you can have everything in life you want. If you just help enough other people get what they want, that quote, is a blueprint for for life and for purpose. Mm -hmm. So let's break it down. You can have everything in life you want. Well, if you dig into that, you got to figure out what do you want and why do you want it? Mm -hmm. Because you can't, with conviction, overcome obstacles along the way unless the why is powerful and you have identified what it is that you want. Then... It says, if you help enough other people, so who are the other people you're going to help, right? Your, your, your customers, your prospects, your family, your team members. And then what do they want? 
Mm-hmm. Right. So now if you've got clarity on that, then the only question is how, how are you going to do it? And so when a lot of people get lost, you can just refer back to that simple quote. I believe that uh, we all have a common purpose and we all have a unique purposes. Yeah, our, that's good. Our common purpose is to serve our fellow human being. That's why we're here. And we do that by helping them solve problems. Right? That's and, really good. Well, hey, you just gave me a great segue. Okay, good. Thank you so much. You just set me up. <laughs> You just set me up to talk about your book, Choose to Win, because this is you talk about the why. Um, Choose to Win, here's the subtitle, Transform Your Life One Simple Choice at a Time. Uh, You know, Tom, I was reading your Ford, and I really got teary-eyed in your Ford, because you said when you sat down to write this book, you're like, who would I want to really write my Ford? And you said your mom and dad. Is the people you would choose to write your for. But then you said, I realized that they already did. And your dad's last spoken words to you were for my son, who am I very proud and grateful for. And then he, he had Romans 828, which we, you know, can you quote that? Yeah. Quote all things, Yeah. All things work together for good for those called according to his purpose. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I, I really got teary eyed, you know, um, reading that, but your why in the book is really like a legacy. And I was thinking about your mom and dad and, you know, and I know you've done the same thing with your own family, but you know, you say legacy can either happen to you, you know, we're all going to leave a legacy, whether we believe we will or not, we're going to all leave a legacy, but is it going to be by chance or design? intentional design and your parents certainly were very intentional. And I know you've been that same way with your, um, with your own family, but you know, you talk a lot about, you know, this idea of legacy. Um, you say it's the biggest why of all is legacy because legacy is eternal. What else would you like to say about legacy? Yeah. I love Mark Batterson's quote on legacy. He says, an inheritance is what you leave to someone. A legacy is what you leave in someone. Mm. And I also say that, um, you know, so many people are, they're focused on success. Um, and you have to have very clear definition of what success is. Cause there's a lot of quote unquote successful people in the eyes of the world who are pretty miserable. And so what I say is if, if success is your goal, legacy doesn't necessarily happen the way you want it to. If legacy is your goal, success is always part of the package, right? And mm-hmm. so when we elevate and we think about legacy and, and legacy is, we, is when we teach and transfer the habits, the attitudes, the principles and the values to those we love to that will allow them to make good decisions that ripple through eternity. So, mm-hmm. so legacy and leadership go hand in hand, uh, do a lot of leadership, uh, development and training and coaching and, you know, intentional leadership creates intentional legacy. So we, and the word there is intentional, intentional. Uh, Mm -hmm. Because because a great leader replicates leaders 
And that's really what a legacy is. It's, it's taking the best of what you know and learn and, and, and instilling it in those in your circle of influence so that they learn that and implement it. So it's, it becomes generational. Yeah, that's so good. Well, Tom, I want to talk about now the how, the goals, the attitudes, the habits. You talk a lot about habits, but we do need to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Tom Ziegler on the Something Extra podcast. Hey there. In a challenging business climate like this, savvy leaders look to technology to find an edge. This can mean the difference between staying ahead of the curve or playing catch-up. It's time to collaborate with the highly skilled experts at Technology Partners. Our team of technologists draws upon decades of experience for your project, with each bringing a passion for solving problems and a track record of success. How can we help you overcome your biggest technology challenges? Visit technologypartners.net to book a free consultation with one of our leaders. Well, welcome back, everyone, to the Something Extra podcast with Tom Ziegler. So, Tom, we were talking about legacy and intentionality, leadership. I mean, legacy, intentionality in our leadership will leave a legacy. You know, that's the why, you know. But what, let's talk a little bit, let's dig a little bit into the how. Because in your book, you talk a lot about the choices we make, you know, habits, goal setting, you know, what, tell us something on, um, like for our listeners, like how, how do you go about setting effective goals? And I know that you've got your wheel, you've got your wheel too. And maybe, maybe that's a good framework, you know, for our listeners to think about their life and the legacy that they want to leave because the wheel has many spokes on it. Right. Yeah. 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 So there's in the book, choose to win, there's an anchor quote. Uh, And the anchor quote is this, the fastest way to success is to replace bad habits with good habits. And so when we think about success in life, you know, in the first few chapters is about the why and your purpose and really getting clarity on that. Well, then the how is how do I get there? And so in the wheel of life and dad taught this for years, uh, you know, I think the wheel existed before. Um, you know, and he took a version of it, but I think in, in at least the United States, dad's, uh, wheel of life, he's the one who made it famous. And there's a lot of mm-hmm. versions out there. And in the wheel, it has seven areas of life, the mental, the spiritual, the physical, the family, the financial, the personal, and the career. And we've got to have balanced success. I mean, why would you have great financial success and and lose your family and your health in the process? It doesn't make any sense. And so we've got to, we've got to have uh, success in all seven areas. And so one of the simple ways to look at it is to say, okay, so in my mental life, what are my bad habits that are holding me back? And I remember as I was going through this thought process, I was waking up in the middle of the night with nightmares and I couldn't figure out why. And then I realized I was falling asleep with the news on. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. well, duh. <laughs> so my mental input, the last thing I was aware of was bad news. And so that was, you know, causing these things. And so, so each section of our life, each spoke on the wheel what what are bad habits that are holding us back? So mentally, it could be negative self-talk or 
It could be listening and reading the wrong material, hanging out with the wrong people. And so those are all bad habits. I mean, mm -hmm. and you know, dad said this, you are what you are and where you are because of what's gone into your mind and you can change what you are and you can change where you are by changing what goes into your mind. I took that and created my own Tom Ziegler version because I, I like food a lot. Uh, and, I, and I just said, what you feed your mind determines your appetite. And so you, so you look at each area on the wheel and you say, what are the bad habits that are holding me back? And then what's a good habit that I could replace it with? Because just because we get rid of a bad habit doesn't mean we're going to put a good habit in. It's got to be a choice. It's got to be intentional. And so that's kind of the, the how process. And then you get even more specific by deciding, choosing the goals that you want to achieve, who do you want to become? You know, what are the things that you want to, how do you want to grow? What are the things you want to learn? And you then get very specific goals in that area. And then you start finding out. So what are the habits that will create that? Yeah. Right. And so to me, it's all about the habits that we mm -hmm. right. Um, there's another quote. I don't know who said it, uh, but it's, it was this, he said, you cannot determine your future, but you can determine your habits and your habits will determine your future. And so that's how we pull it all together. And so a, a goal is different than a dream. A dream's in our head and it's, you know, it can be inspirational and, and something we want to go for. But because it's not concrete, because we haven't written it down, broke it down uh, and understand uh, how to make it happen, it usually just stays a dream. So mm -hmm. we take our dreams and we turn them into goals. And then in the book, uh, we teach the seven step goal setting process, which makes it, which makes it doable. Um, dad always talked about putting the cookies on the bottom shelf so everybody can get them. Um, <laughs> here's an interesting thing about goal setting is if you look at people in general, only 20% of people are goal motivated about 80% are problem solving motivated. Interesting. But the interesting thing is, is that the seven step goal setting system that we teach, you can change the name and it's the exact same seven steps and you change the name to the seven step problem solving system. And so let's, let's use a weight, a weight goal. Uh, my goal might be to weigh 100 and, 180 pounds, right? Or if I stated it as a problem, my problem is, is I weigh 10 pounds too much. Yeah. Right. But it's the same thing. And then I write the second step, which is what are the benefits from reaching this goal? And you write all those down. Mm-hmm. If you said, well, what are the benefits from solving this problem of weighing 10 pounds too much? Right. All, it's the same thing. Same thing. Right. right. What are the major obstacles and the barriers I have to overcome to achieve this goal? Write it down. What are the major obstacles and barriers to overcome to solve this problem? It's this. It's so you can go through. I won't go through all seven steps, but that's that's what happens. And so a lot of people who are natural problem solvers they feel um, almost embarrassed. They're not motivated by goals. 
And so don't, you're a problem solver, you know, embrace that and just think of the problems that you want to solve that are a little bit more aspirational about becoming a, you know, my problem is, is I'm not the person I want to be next year. Right. Yeah. So what do I have to do to become that person? Mm-hmm. We've all got that problem. I hope I'm not the same person a year from now that I am today. Right. You know, you just reminded me, Tom, your dad had another quote and it's, uh, you don't have to be good to start, but you have to start to be good. Right. <laughs> and I love that because, you know, it's just starting, right? I mean, you don't like the person that you are today. You want to be a different person next year. You got to start, right? And uh, yeah, oh my goodness, such good stuff. Well, I'm just encouraging our li- listeners, get the book. Get the book and you're going to want to get his uh, his latest one too, but choose to win. Um, on page 177, uh, it starts and you know, you say attitude times effort times skill equals performance. And you've got like a whole list of attitude habits, effort habits. I mean, this is a very practical guide, I believe, Tom, for for winning, you know, for for that uh, that formula, that recipe, if you will. But let's talk about 10 leadership virtues for disruptive times. Because um, this is your latest book. I think this was released in 2021. December 21. Yep. And we all know (laughs) how disruptive (laughs) the last few years have been, right? Uh, It's crazy. Uh, Ken Blanchard, I think, wrote your forward. And I was so grateful to have him on the show last year. uh, What an amazing person, right? I think he's like mid 80s or something like that. And he's like, Lisa, he said, a lot of people say, um, Oh, you know, my best years are behind me. He said, but you know, the best is yet to come, you know, and he's still living life with gusto. I was so inspired. I'm so inspired by him, but he wrote your Ford, which was really, really special. But, you know, here's, here's one of the things that really stood out to me. You said that during the pandemic, people did have the time to, you know, things were canceled. You know, there were no youth activities. You know, there was no soccer games to go to. There were no, in our case, galas and charity events and things like that to go to. People really started thinking what is really important in life. And you said like the number one thing on the list for people became quality of life. Yep. hundred percent. You know, dad had a quote that he, and he was teaching it. Uh, I remember first hearing it in the seventies. He said, if standard of living is your goal, quality of life almost never goes up. But if quality of life is your goal, your standard mm-hmm. of living almost always goes up. And so the book was interesting because I was starting to work on a manuscript uh, at the end of 2019 and because thomas nelson the publisher wanted it turned in by you know summer of 2020 so that it takes like a year to publish in in the you know in a big publishing group and then the pandemic hit and they postponed it for another six or eight or a year actually before they wanted the manuscript because the whole industry shut down and so i said well that's 
this new book, it needs to be about disruption, right? About all the changes. Mm -hmm. So really now for three and a half years, all I've done is study how the world has changed from that huge disruption the pandemic caused. And the first big one was people were losing family and friends and young people for the first time said, wait a second, you know, people die. Right. And, mm-hmm. and, if, and, and that's a collective thing. And so then the second follow-up was, does what I do matter? Is, is my life, you know, is this the way I want to spend my life? Uh, was I intentional about where I'm going? And then we heard the great resignation. And the problem with that was, is that, that people knew that where they were wasn't the right place, but they weren't sure where they were supposed to go. And mm-hmm. so, so it's always, it's never good to, to leave because you're running away from something unless it's toxic or dangerous, right? That's a different thing. Yes. It's always better to be running to something. And so people's core values shifted um, and they put things like family relationships and health and, you know, all those quality of life things. They, they became the primary driver. Uh, mm-hmm. and, then we, and we saw remote work happen and people are like, wait a second, why do we work the way we do? What if there's a different way? And of course, everybody's different in their, in their job role and there's not a one size fits all type solution. But a lot of people started creating the life they always wanted and their productivity and performance went up. Mm-hmm. Right. Go, fig- go figure. If you're in better health, you've got more rest. You're spending more time with the people you love. Your brain's probably going to operate better, right? That's our superpower. And, and so then the book goes into, but, and this is what I believe, uh, disruption is only going to increase in intensity and frequency. Oh, no doubt. I so, believe that too, Tom. So, uh, and, you know, and we talked a little bit about it, but the five years from now, when we look at how artificial intelligence and technology has changed the way we do life, it's, it, we're not even going to remember the pandemic as a big change. It's going to be so much bigger. Um, and so one of the things that I'm just passionate about is helping people to create the mindset to embrace this disruption, because I think we're, we're on the verge of these amazing opportunities to live the life we've always wanted to get more done, to have more uh, quality of life and more uh, quality. Uh, quality of life and a higher standard of living all at the same time. Mm-hmm. But it's only going to be if we embrace what's going on and decide that we're learners and growers and not stuck in the way it always was. Cause that's where people get in trouble is they, they say, why do I have to do that? Why do I have to change? I like the way it was, you know, I'm, I'm fearful of this new thing, but I think it's just going to be better. Yeah. You know, I, I, I love that. And, you know, we're a technology company and Tom, I will tell you the thing that gets people in trouble the most is adoption, adoption of new technology, you know, cause you know, you, we see it all the time. Companies will put in, spend billions of dollars sometimes with systems and, you know, and then the adoption rate is not there. Um, I was just last week, I was in Boston at the national CIO awards 
And um, you know, one of the things that came out of there was the, you know, the top three things that are top of mind for CIOs, chief information officers across, there were 265 CIOs there. Wow. Uh, but top three things, people, culture, generative AI. Those were the top three things, you know, the people engaging the talent, you know, the culture of the organization, because you know, you got to get the culture right to attract the right people. Um, so yeah, I, I could not agree with you more. I mean, we're going to just continue to see, um, you know, we're going to continue to see change. Yeah. So it's a mindset thing to embrace that change. And, you know, there's, um, you know, there's improvements to be had for sure. I mean, we see technology in healthcare, you know, and how the technological advances are improving the, you know, outcome of the patient's experience, you know? So anyway, you know, you've just got so much here. I'm just really, uh, you know, hoping that our, our listeners will get the book. 10 virtues build a bridge between the pain and the vision. You know, you said that you got to help your people see the future, help your people see the future. And um, hopefully then they'll be more apt to want to adopt to the change. Right. Okay. Um, yeah. There's just so much good stuff here. You know, you ascribe to a lot of, you know, different assessments. I think, you yourself, you were trained by Robert Rohn on disc, right? You know, I'm a big proponent of those as well. If you, you know, if you are there and you're trying to figure out, you know, where you're going and your purpose and the person that you want to be, you know, make sure you're doing those assessments to get your current state. You know, what is the current state? And then um, identify those gaps, right? And where you want to go. But, you know, this is, also good. Is there anything else? I mean, I think your first virtue was kindness. Yeah. We that, need a little bit more of that, Tom. <laughs> I know. You know, there's just a couple of, of principles um, that I love. Kindness is that's like the the superpower virtue. If it amplifies every other virtue. If if people who have different opinions, they're on the different side. If they just sit down with kindness. How much progress would we make? Um, one of the things that I learned from Rabbi Daniel Lappin, uh, who's kind of a, a friend and a mentor, you know, he 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 talked about how in Jewish tradition, um, different rabbis from different schools of theology, they would come to the table and they would argue like crazy. Um, but then they would break for lunch and their families would do life together. They would take care of each other's kids. They were best friends. And the reason was, is they weren't sitting down at the table to win the argument. They were sitting down to discover the truth. And we've polarized our country and our world so much that it's not about discovering the truth anymore. Mm -hmm. It's about um, winning the argument. And, and so then kindness goes out the door, respect goes out the door, all humility goes out the door, all the virtues that we talk about. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so, but in embracing the future, um, think about this. There's in your business, if technology comes in and AI comes in and, you know, all of a sudden 50% of your time is now 
um, turned over because AI can do it instantly, right? If if you're arrogant, you're going to be like, um, well, I like the way I always did it, right? And you're going to be resistant to adopting. If you're humble, humility says, always ask this question, well, what, what's best for the mission? Mm-hmm. Well, well, what's best for the mission is, how can I leverage this new technology to do what's really important and what AI can never do? And that's build strong relationships, like literally old fashioned relationships. That's beautiful. <laughs> so I get, I get excited thinking of all the things that AI is going to do for me, all the data it's going to find for me so I can use that to serve the people God puts in front of me even more. Now I can, now I can be better equipped to build real relationships and have far more relationships than in the past, because I'm not spending all that time trying to figure out what do I do next? Yeah. I love it. I love it. Well, uh, you know, Tom, I need to come have you speak at some, some CIO summits. (laughs) We'll work on that. Okay. Yeah. I only go where I'm invited, just so you know. (laughs) Well, we're going to work on it. Well, listen, Tom, I so appreciate your time, but I have to ask you, this is called something extra. What do you believe is the something extra? I'll give you a few, if you've got a few in there uh, that every leader needs. Yeah. uh, You need awareness of your blind spot. Uh, That's something extra. And somebody asked me one time, they said, what was Zig Ziglar's secret to his, that made him Zig Ziglar? What was the one thing that he did? And so this is the something extra that changes everything. So every day for five decades, he invested the first three hours of the day, learning something new, reading God's word, reading the experts and his motive was to learn that, internalize it, simplify it, and then share it for someone else's benefit. And so my challenge is this. What if you just learn a little something extra every day, took 10 minutes in the morning, five minutes, and your motive was to share it to somebody in your family, somebody you work with, somebody you lead, And it was for their benefit. If you did that every day for that little something extra every day for a year, how different of a human being would you be at the end of the year? What kind of legacy would you leave, Tom? What kind of legacy would you build by doing that? Well, hey, listen, another thing that we have in common, and I'm really stretching here, is you've written lots of books. I aspire to write books. (laughs) So I might... (laughs) I might uh, collaborate with you on a something extra book. So I love, I love what you just said there. That's beautiful. Well, listen, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being with me today. And I just know that this is going to help our listeners and I can't wait for them to hear this episode. So enjoy the rest of your day, my friend. All right. Thank you so much. Be blessed. Thank you for listening to today's show. Something Extra with Lisa Nichols is a Technology Partners production. Copyright Technology Partners, Inc. 2019. For show notes or to reach Lisa, visit tpi.co slash podcast. Don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen.